Well, I want to say welcome to X Church. If you're online with us or if you're in the room and it's your first time or second time, you just kind of, you're jumping in and catching us in the middle of a series that we're talking about faith. And I really believe that the ultimate life that we can experience on earth here is a life of faith. In other words, it's learning to live by faith. And I don't know what that means to you. I find that faith means a lot of different things to different people. But for some reason in our culture today and maybe a Western thought of Christianity, faith so often tends to be reduced to like a benign belief system. In other words, it's, you know, if someone says, well, I believe in God, then, then we say, okay, that, that's, that's faith. And I do, I do agree that it takes faith to have God, but can I just tell you, I think actually faith is more than that. Faith isn't just the moment where you have enough internal confidence to believe in God, but it's actually what happens after that. It's what you do with that that I would say is real faith. And yet here's what I know. Um, trying to define faith and kind of explain faith. I don't know if you ever tried to explain faith to someone. It's, it's not easy. Faith is actually very complicated. It's kind of an elusive concept. It's kind of mystical. It's kind of like, you know, you read through the Bible and there's things about, you know, Jesus said that because of your faith that this miracle happened. And, and so it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around what faith is. Well, here's kind of maybe my best way of understanding faith is faith is not just a moment. Faith is not just a belief. But I like to say this, faith is more like a journey. It's more like going on a trip. In fact, if you're a Christ follower, I, I like to describe what it means to follow Jesus is a lot like going on a journey of faith. In other words, I didn't just have one moment where all of a sudden I believed and then everything was great after that. Can I tell you? I've had some moments where I, I had all of a sudden, I don't know, but there was a confidence inside of me to trust in God for something. I've had those moments where my faith has grown. Can I also tell you, I've had moments when my faith has shrunk. I've walked through some really hard things where I started to question and wonder, and God, are you there? And so I guess the best way for me to talk about faith and describe my faith is it feels more like a journey. It feels more like it kind of ebbs and flows and like I'm just trying to learn what it means to have faith in God as I walk this life with him. But here's what I am convinced of, and this is what I believe. I believe that there is more for us who are following Jesus than just to settle into an easy, comfortable, routine life. Is there anybody here that believes that with me? Say amen. I just believe that there is more, that God has so much more for us than just to go through life, have a job, get to retirement, go to church every once in a while and say, I've got faith. Now, I think, that, I think, that's, I think there's so much more in store for you and for me and for all of us. And, and so that's why this series is, is something I feel. It's something in me. It's not just a message series. For those of you who are new, I, I actually have a book coming out called Scary Faith. It's releasing on May 17th. And so some of what I'm sharing in this series can be found here, but there's so much more to it. And I, I, I just wanna say that because it's, it's a message that I feel because I've been living it. And I, I, I want this to not just be my journey of faith, but I want this for you to be your journey of faith. That I believe that God has as much for you as he does for me. And I think far too often the reality is is that many Christ followers today, it's so easy for them to live in neutral, 
Have you ever accidentally, when you meant to put your car in drive, through it in neutral, and you stepped on the gas, and you revved it, and it got real loud, and you're like, why am I not going? What's wrong? And you look down, you realize it's in neutral instead of drive. Well, I, I actually feel like that's a, a really good picture of how, can I just say this, how what I think a lot of Christians are living like today. That, that there's so much power under the hood, and there's so much ability for the car, the problem is we don't quite get it in drive that it's so easy to put it in neutral and you can show up in church and you can sing songs and you can clap and you can say amen, it's great, but then you go to work on Monday and nothing ever happens. You kind of, in your life, you just kind of feel like I'm doing the same routine over and over again, but nothing happens. And can I just tell you that many, I was many, many, and I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about in general, that many of us are living our lives in neutral. When I say that, I mean this, I mean, we're not moving closer to God and his purpose for us, but I'm also not walking away from him. I'm not stepping into the very purpose and the destiny that God has for me, but I'm also not walking away from God. I mean, I am going to church. I do believe. And the truth is that a lot of us are living in a space where nothing happens. Where nothing happens. What we read about and we sing about all the miracles, the God of Jacob who does miracles, and the God of Moses who parts the Red Sea, and the God of David who gave him the ability to, to, to strike down and kill the giant. We read about all these things. We sing about all these things. But when we look at our own lives, we go, man, it just seems like God doesn't do miracles anymore. Have you ever wondered that? Have you ever wondered why it is that you can read about God doing so many incredible things around you, but you... You say, I don't, I don't really ever see God do anything in me, in my world. If that's the case, can I, can I just maybe say that I, I believe God has more for you and he has more for me. And I believe the greatest life that we can ever live on this side of eternity is one that we have to live by faith. And what means we put ourselves in the position for a miracle that we step into something that is unknown where we need God to show up and it is scary to live that way. By the way, if you wonder what the title of my book, Scary Faith, is from, is because to me, faith is scary. It's hard. To walk it out is not easy. But I am convinced it is the greatest life we can experience. Today, if you've got your Bible with you, I would love to take you to a story in the Old Testament if you want to grab your Bible or electronic device, I'm going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 14 today. 1 Samuel chapter 14. I want to show you a picture. In fact, I want to show you two pictures of what kind of response that a lot of us might have when given opportunities or a stirring inside of us. Because here's my hope and prayers that throughout this entire series, and maybe even when you read the book, is that I'm praying that God is beginning to stir something inside of you that if you were fine and comfortable and settled, that you're gonna feel a little bit uncomfortable. That the spirit of God is gonna begin to kind of breathe life into your spirit again. That, that maybe what you kind of just, you've been coasting in your life, your journey of faith, and all of a sudden that God is just gonna begin to kind of do CPR on you and start to say, hey, I wanna use you to do something significant. I've called you and created you for more than this. And so I want to show you a story today of how we can respond. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Now, before I get to that, I need to give you a little bit of the backdrop of this moment because it's actually incredibly significant, but it's easy to miss if you don't know. Now, the story that we're going to see is the story of the Israelites fighting against their 
ultimate um, arch nemesis, their ultimate rival, this was the Philistines. In fact, as you follow their journey in the Old Testament, you see they seem to fight with the Philistines more than any other kind of conflict that they have. And if you were here last week, I mentioned Moses, and God used Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and slavery. If you know the story, they went into the wilderness for 40 years and wandered. Why? Because they didn't have the faith to trust God and step into the promised land when he was leading them. And so after a new generation came to life, God called Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And so Joshua led them in, and they fought all these battles, and then they won, and they they settled in the land. Now here's the thing. As soon as that leader died, they had no real leadership. And when you have no leadership, guess what happened? Everybody did their own thing. And so this nation of Israel that was aligned under God, all of a sudden, for years and years, people started to worship the gods of the nations around them. And so God basically, he's jealous, and he says, if you're going to worship them, then they can be your God, and I won't defend you, and I won't protect you, and I won't be with you. And so all of a sudden, they started to be attacked by these other nations because that's what they did. They played the big game of risk. All they did was, we want more land. We want your resources. And so the Israelites were susceptible to attack and What you find at the beginning of 1 Samuel is the Philistines and the Israelites had battles. And Israel kept losing. And when the Philistines came in and they conquered your land, they were so smart. They didn't want to move in. I mean, it wasn't like they needed your territory to live. But what they would do is they would conquer your land. They would take all of your weapons away. And then they took your blacksmiths. You know, the metal workers. And they took all of the blacksmiths out of the land, the people that had the skill to create and make weapons. And so here's what they did. They they made it so that you basically could not defend yourselves. You could not fight back. There's no weapons. And anytime the Israelites needed their farming equipment sharpened, you know, like a sickle or an ax or whatever, they had to go into Philistine territory and pay someone, but they would not let them have swords or spears. Now, when you get to 1 Samuel chapter 13, there's a king who is now in charge of Israel. His name was Saul. Saul, and he had a son named Jonathan. And they had this small kind of army. The only thing they could do is get about 3,000 men together. And you got to remember, these guys did not have weapons. In fact, it tells us at the end of 1 Samuel 13 that there were only two swords in the entire land. Guess who got those? The king and his son. Everybody else had to use pitchforks and had to use an axe or had to use just a farming equipment, whatever they they could find. And so they had about 3,000 men, and Jonathan took 1,000 men, and he went and he attacked. He just like, oh, I'm going to go. And he attacked an outpost of the Philistines and defeated them. And when word got back to the Philistines that there was a revolt, here's what they did. They assembled every one of their troops, and they came toward Israel to have a battle. They're going to wipe them out. And so what you have as we get into 1 Samuel 14 is we have the Philistines lining up, And here's what they brought with them. They brought 3,000 chariots with two men in each chariot. They had an army that says it was so vast, so big, that it numbered like the sands of the seashore. In other words, you couldn't count it was so big. When the Israelites saw this, you got to remember, there was about the time 3,000 men. And they saw the size of the army. Guess what most of them did? They ran. And Saul was left with 600 men that didn't have weapons. You wanna talk about impossible odds. So this is the moment, it's tense. By the way, the story we're gonna look at today is the precursor 
to one of the most significant battles that happens throughout all the Old Testament and just a few chapters later where there's a young man named David who fights against a giant from the Philistines known as Goliath. You probably know that story. This is the precursor. These are the things that led up to it. It says this in 1 Samuel 14, verse one. It says, one day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahiah, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Ahotub, son of Phine- I don't know how to say some of these names, so I just, it just looks like a hot tub to me. It says, you know, some people think the Bible's boring. I just think how you read it's boring. I, I read it kind of a little more exciting than that. Amen. So the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, no one was aware that Jonathan had slipped out, that he left. So what we have here is two different responses to this moment. Here's what I want you to think about today. This is gonna be my challenge to you today. If you're taking notes, this may be the first thing you're gonna write down where you're gonna ask yourself in this story, am I Saul or am I Jonathan? I know I'm not facing an army like that, but here's what I know. As God inspires inside of you to step into your future, as God challenges you by faith, you're gonna feel like you're coming up against impossible odds. And the question is, how am I gonna respond? Because here's what we see. One responds out of fear and the other responds out of faith. That's what we see. Now, King Saul, his job was to lead the troops into battle. That's what kings did back then. Like if you're a king, you're the commander in chief, Your primary job to defend the nation, to fight back against threats, is that you are the one who gathered all the troops and you inspired them to go into battle. When they saw your courage and bravery, they went, okay, I'll go fight to my death. And so I picture King Saul, what he's supposed to be like is that guy who paints half of his face blue and he gets in front of the 600 men and he knows that they're outnumbered and he says, they might take our lives, but they can never take our freedom. Like that's what Saul is supposed to do. But instead, the king, the leader, who's bigger than everyone else, who has the mantle of leadership, this great king of God, what is he doing? He's camping under a pomegranate tree. Ooh, I like this. These pomegranates taste good, and we got this shade from this tree, and pomegranates hang really low, and it's just easy. You just pop the fruit off, and it's just comfortable, and it's easy, and, and Saul decides that instead of going into the battle, he would rather camp. He would camp. I'm curious, just curious, just real quick, show of hands. How many of you here like camping? Raise your hand if you like camping. Okay, okay, wow, wow, a lot of you. I've, I gotta be honest with you, I don't love camping. And I don't, I don't know if maybe that comes as a surprise because you're probably like, man, he's such a, seems like a woodsy, outdoorsy kind of guy. I know, I get that a lot. Uh, I just, I don't understand it as much, I guess as, It's not that I don't mind doing it. I just, like, I, 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 it's like I pay mortgage to have a house, but then I'm going to go pretend like I don't have one. (laughs) 
and I've got like, I've got a bed. It's nice. It's a king size bed. I got this nice bed, but I'm going to go pitch a tent on the hard ground and I'm going to go sleep on the ground. Like, I don't understand this, right? This doesn't make sense to me. It's like, I'm out here sweating to death. I can't fall asleep. I'm dealing with mosquitoes when I, at home I've got air conditioning and it's running and no one's in the house. I don't under, some of y'all love camping. I, God bless you. I, I don't get it. It's like, man, it takes three hours to make dinner. I'm like, I've got an oven at home. I've got every utensil, spice. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Maybe it's because some of you don't actually camp. You know what I found? Talk to some people, it's like, oh yeah, I go camping. No, you don't. You go glamping. There's a big difference. How many of you actually go glamping? Raise your hand. See, here's what I found. The people that love camping take their house with them. They hitch it to the back of the truck and they drive their house and inside they've got a queen size bed and they've got satellite TVs and they've got air conditioning and they got a full kitchen. You're not camping. You just have a second house, you're that rich. You got a house on wheels. I don't have a house on wheels. I can't afford one, but you got a house on wheels. You know what I've discovered, though, about life, okay? It's a metaphor. I want you to see this, okay? Because so many of us, I, I feel like we, we're called to something, but how many of us are actually camping when we should be advancing? I wonder how many of us have gotten so settled in life that we're, we've camped out under the pomegranate tree, that, that there is something God wants us to lead our family, lead our, to change the legacy, to kind of God put something inside of us. We get bothered when we see that there's injustice in the world or there's something that lights a fire inside of us. But you know what? We don't do anything about it because we're just camping. How many of us, when we sense that God might be leading us to maybe it's to change careers, maybe it's to go to a new job, one where you have a sense of purpose and meaning, but you can't walk away from the job you hate because they pay you too much. And so instead you camp rather than advance and you complain the whole time. This, this is what we do. Instead of marrying her, you're so afraid of the commitment that instead she just let you move in so you camp at her house rather than actually going through with it because you've been afraid of commitment. I'm just saying like so many of us, we're, we're not moving forward, but then we, we justify because say, well, I'm not actually walking away from God. I'm just camping. And the truth is this, fear will keep us from the future that God has for us. Fear, I believe fear is one of the most powerful emotions we'll ever experience in our life. Fear is, is so palpable. Do you know that whenever you become afraid of something, and whether it's a, a threat of something in front of you, a perceived threat, do you, do you know that when that happens, they say that there are two basic responses that we have. There's two things that we have in, in that. Have you ever heard of them? It's called we either fight or we Fight or flight, you heard that? In other words, your body naturally reacts to fear. You know what I hear sometimes, and again, I deal with this in the book, but I hear sometimes Christians, they, they talk like fear um, comes from the devil. The devil, just, I mean, fear. Can I, can I just let you in on a little secret? God actually created your body to respond to fear for survival. It's actually a God-given emotion. Did you know that? Oh, my. Some of you are like, no, 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 pastor. I've known all my life fears from the devil. Not really. It's actually something that you were created with. 
See, when you get into a fearful situation, what your brain does is that it releases some chemicals. It releases adrenaline. Have you ever felt an adrenaline rush? When you get a, it releases cortisol. It releases things that actually change and dilate your blood vessels and your lungs and things like this to focus your attention and to give you the strength you need, what, to fight or flight. These are the responses. This is actually what is natural for all of us. Now, I would go so far and I actually think that there's more than two. I actually think there's a third response. I don't think there's just two. See, I think there's fight and flight and freeze. Have any of you ever been frozen in fear? It's like you see something that scares you and you're like, I'm not attacking that and I'm not running because you're frozen. I actually think it's fight, flight, or freeze. I've seen this played out so many times with my, um, my oldest daughter, Lauren, who is deathly afraid of spiders. Is there anybody here afraid of spiders, like really afraid of spiders, like legit arachnophobia? My daughter Lauren is so afraid of spiders. I can't tell you how many times I would hear this blood-curling scream that sounds like, like she just got her arm chopped off of her and I would come running to her aid like any dad would do only to get there and find her frozen, pointing and going, there's a spider! And when I find the spider and realize that it's this big and I'm like, it is so small, it's not attacking you, it's running away from you. Your screaming has scared the spider. But something happens that comes over us when we, we feel fear and sometimes we don't attack. Sometimes we don't run. Sometimes we're frozen in fear. And I think that's maybe a, a, a picture for a lot of us of, of our spiritual journey. It's, I'm not moving closer to what God has for me. I'm not moving closer to God, but I'm not running away from him. It's not like I... I turn my back on God. It's not like I don't believe in him. It's not like I don't go to church. It's not like I don't believe. It's not, I know you're just frozen. And a lot of times we can end up settling in the plains of indecision where we don't actually do anything and we, we fill our minds with all kinds of excuses why I can't take a step. I don't know what your step is. The reason why I'm leaving it vague is because every one of us are different. And God's given you a passion. And he's given you a burden for things. And he's given you gifts for things. And he's given you skills. And you might go, I, I can't preach. That's fine. There's a lot of things I can't do. This is only one of them I can do. But God's given you something that, that he's called you for. And you find meaning and purpose. And you want to move in that direction. But you're so afraid to actually move. And you're like, well, I'm not actually walking away from God. I know. You're just camping. I'm just camping under the pomegranate tree. And I, I don't know what it is. But we often tell ourselves, well, I don't have enough money. And I, I could never walk away from, you know, my job and, and start a new business to do something I'm passionate about doing because I think it'll actually help people and make a difference. What if I don't survive? What if I don't make it? What if I, what if I don't have, we, we tell ourselves these things. And then I have found sometimes within the church, I have I found that sometimes that we will over-spiritualize to the point of indecision that we sometimes will say things like this, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people who, who feel impressed upon themselves by God to do something. They feel called to do something, but then they don't do anything. And they say, well, I'm praying about it. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to pray about it. We need to pray about it. But then, like, months later, they're still praying about it. And it's like two years later, I'm still praying about it. And when you ask them, they'll say things like this. I don't know if you ever heard him say, well, I, I just don't want, 
I don't want to make a wrong move. I want to make sure. I just want to be in the center of God's will. I wonder if you ever thought that. I just want to be in the center of God's will. And I get that. I want to be in God's will too. I, I, I don't want to miss God. If God's going left, I don't want to go right. You know, I get it. If God's going to go in this direction, I don't want to go in this direction. I get it. But I wonder if this whole idea of a center of God's will has actually become more of an excuse for our indecision. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you know this, and if that's, that's what you've always thought and believed, then I hate to violate that, but I'm going to do that right now. Um, you do realize that's not a biblical concept. You do realize that there's no place in Scripture where it tells us, well, you just need to do this so you can be in the center of God's will. You do realize that's not a biblical concept. It's really not. In fact, the, the, I would want to show you really what it means to be aligned with God and to be in God's will. I actually think that you can, but I think so many of us are like, I don't want to miss God. And I love that sense because I have felt that, trust me, I have. But sometimes that ends up being the very reason why we won't even do anything. Because I don't want to miss God. In fact, if I could give you a different perspective, maybe you could receive what God spoke over Joshua. You know Joshua, the guy who came behind Moses? when it was time to go into the promised land and take it, God spoke a promise to Joshua that I believe he would speak into your life. Joshua chapter one, verses three through five, listen to this. God said to Joshua, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. I love this part. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. What did God say to Joshua? He didn't say, Joshua, when you go into the promised land, you better make sure you go to the, you go here, you go here, you go, no, no, no. Here's what he told him. Wherever you go, I have given it to you already. As I was with Moses, so I am with you. I'm with you, Joshua. I'm not in some place. Oh, okay, so if I get to the right destination, if I make the right turns, and I land in the right career, I land in the right thing, then I will find God. No, no, no. Here's what God said. God said, I'm with you already. Every place you set your foot, I have given it to you, Joshua. What if we didn't see it as a bullseye to hit like the center of God's will? But what if we saw it like, if I will just make Jesus the center of my life, then every step I take, here's what I can know. I can be in God's will. I can be in God's will. I don't know. Should I be a nurse or should I be a teacher? Should I be a firefighter? Should I be a doctor? Should I think sometimes God's going, I don't care. I can use you at the hospital. I can use you at the firehouse. I can use you at the school. I can use you at the office. I'll use you wherever. I don't care. Now, now we, can't, we can't distort this to say, well, then I can do whatever I want and I'm in God's will because the one thing you can't do is walk in disobedience to his ways. You walk in his ways, you can be in his will, but you can walk with a confidence. God's with me. God's with me. But that's not what Saul does. Saul camps. See, here's the contrast I want you to see, all right? Here's the contrast. Saul is camping. Jonathan is sick of camping. 
Who's gonna do something about this? I need so. if you won't move, I'll move. And so he says to his armor bearer, that was the guy, by the way, that would carry his sword for him. He's the guy who would make, they would carry a shield if they had shields. And he says to his armor bearer, he says, come on, you and me, just the two of us, let's go over to that Philistine outpost. Just the two of us. Let's go see what we can do. Let's go get into some trouble. Let's, let's go. There was something inside of Jonathan that would not allow him to camp when the enemy of, of the nation and the enemy of their God was setting up, resist, setting up to come. He was like, I'm not going to sit here and wait for them to come. See, here's the thing about Saul. Saul wasn't running into the fight. He also wasn't running away from it. He was just camping. He was camping. Jonathan's like, no, no, no. And now here's what's interesting. It said that he did not tell his father. They just slipped away. He didn't tell him. It's not hard to figure out why he didn't tell him, right? Because I think he knew that if I tell him what I want to do, he's going to tell me no. This is one of those cases where if you're ever wondering like, okay, I'm just wondering like, what is the moral, the righteous thing to do? Do I ask for forgiveness or permission? Yeah, I'm asking forgiveness, right? That's, I, got, I got a scripture for that. You know what I mean? This is, this is what he does. And and he slips away. And I think this is really an important truth. I hope you get this because as God inspires you, and I pray he is doing that in the series. As God is inspiring you about your future, as you're in college and you're thinking, okay, what am I to be doing? You're, listen, I'm not just going into that career field. I'm going there with a purpose and God's gonna use me somehow there. there I've got, God created me and he's given me gifts and I'm gonna use them somehow to advance his kingdom, okay? This is the way you're thinking. I've got a dream. Here's what I would tell you. Be very careful who you tell your dream to. Don't just tell it to anybody. Don't go around saying, well, I'm gonna start a nonprofit and one day we're gonna give away millions of dollars and we're gonna go in and we're gonna change the country and we're gonna, we're gonna put wells everywhere. Don't, don't be careful. Don't just, don't just tell anybody your dream. Make sure you tell somebody who has a faith framework because listen, if you tell someone your bold, audacious, crazy dream, you know what they might say to you? That's insane. That's ridiculous. You need to get your head out of the clouds, go to work like a normal person. But God didn't make you to be normal. God didn't make you to be ordinary. God didn't call you just to go to work like everybody else. God created you for a greater purpose. And so be careful. Don't just tell anybody and everybody what God's put in your heart. Because you need to tell somebody with faith who can look back at you and say, if God is stirring you to do it, go after it. Go after it. And so... And so Jonathan tells his armor bearer, let's go. And they slip out. In verse four, it tells us what happens. It says on each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. You know, a lot of times we we think that um, if God stirs our heart to do something, that'll be easy. No, you might actually have to risk your life and climb a cliff to get there. It says one was called, on one side was called Bozes, and the other, Senna. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash. That's where the Philistines were. The other to the south toward Geba. And that's where the Israelites were. And so he actually had to climb a cliff in order to get to, it. This is such an insane trip because you are exposing yourself on the side of a cliff 
so the Philistines can see you're coming. Cliffs of insanity. That's only for people that know what that reference is for. To get to the top of the cliff and have to fight. It says in verse 6, Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. I know it's only two of us, but let's not forget to count God. I know what I'm facing looks impossible, and we don't have the might. Let's not forget to count God. In verse 7, Love of the armor bearer said, do all that you have in mind. His armor bearer said, go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. I think this might be one of the best pictures of faith you can find in scripture. See, sometimes if I got to explain faith to somebody, I don't really know how to do it. You know, it's like trying to explain love. It's like, you know, it's like, I don't, it's like this thing. It's like, it's like you, know, you, you know, when you have it, but you know, but I don't know how to get it. But it's like, I, think, I think sometimes explaining faith feels like that. Sometimes the best way to know what faith is is to see it in action. I think sometimes the best way to know what something is is to know what it isn't, what it isn't. Can I just tell you three things real quick? You can write these down, three things that faith isn't because I've found, depending on how you grew up, what kind of environment you were in, um, you may have picked up some ideas about faith along the journey that I don't think are very accurate. I don't mean to offend, but when I, when I see this, it doesn't align with what I see in scripture. Three things. The first one is this. Faith isn't a force. It's not some force. Now, there are some of you here today that your favorite day of the entire year is not Mother's Day, but it was Wednesday. Do you all know what day that was? May the 4th be with you. There are some crazy adults that, like, they get out their lightsabers, and they're out swinging them around on May 4th. They're, they're out there trying their Jedi mind tricks. I'm going to try to pick up my stapler at work. I'm just... I say, I, I like it. It's fun. That's fun. That's great for the movies. You can do some great stuff with, with, with movies and with CGI and all that stuff. But, but sometimes, can I just say, sometimes I have run into Christians that they think faith is like a force, that if I tap into the force, then, then something magical can happen. Something mystical can happen, that it's like a force. There's a, like there's this force in the world, and it's all about tapping into it, maybe like karma or maybe like whatever. Can I just tell you what I believe? I don't believe faith is a force. I actually believe faith has a face, and his name is Jesus, and he is the God of this world, and the Spirit of God is real. And so, listen, it's not a force. It's the Spirit of God. And the reason why some people think, well, I can't, I just like almost like a Jedi, like I don't know how to tap into the force, it's because it's not a thing, it's a person. And the reason why some of us don't know how to operate in faith is because we don't actually have a relationship with God. You have to have a relationship with a God to experience the spirit of God moving inside of you and stirring you. And so if you go, it's a, if it's a force, I would tell you, no, it's a, it's a person. It starts with a person. And the spirit of God is part of the personhood of God. And when you, when you understand that, you understand that it, it takes relationship. Relationship. That's why it matters. Faith isn't a force and faith isn't a formula. I, I, I need some of you to hear this because I think sometimes we get so discouraged because we prayed something and nothing happened, but somebody else had a testimony of what God did in their life. And so we immediately think, 
either God loves them more or I did it wrong. You ever felt like I, I must not know how to pray right? I must not have prayed right. I don't say the right words. I didn't get, sometimes we think that it's like if I say a certain prayer in a certain way, and if I tag it with, with a certain thing, well, in Jesus' name, and I've just, that's how we end our prayers, right? Because there's something there, and it's just like, it's a, it's a formula. That, that it's almost like God is like a genie, and if you say it just right, or if you have the password to unlock it, then you can get God to do what you want. But can I just tell you something? You will never be able to manipulate God to do what you want to do. If it's not on God's agenda, he is not going to do it. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't pray and ask God because I'm gonna pray. And I do believe that God is sometimes so moved by our prayer of faith and our action of faith that then he moves on our behalf. I do believe all of that. But here's what I know, that the important thing is that you gotta know God's will. Can I just be honest? Sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes that's why I get frustrated because I'm praying for something, but the truth is I don't know God's will in that situation. But here's what I would say. Maybe the, the, the better thing to pray is, God, show me your will so that I can pray in accordance to your will because 1 John 5 says we have this confidence in us that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us and that we will have what we ask for. But the problem is, is that sometimes we just don't know God's will. And there are some things that I have prayed for over and over and God didn't do, and so I can get discouraged and think my faith doesn't work. Or it could be God had another plan. Faith isn't a force, and it's not a formula. And, and I, and I want to be careful how I nuance this one, but faith isn't a feeling. It's not a feeling. Now, sometimes I feel inspired to do something, but that's not what I'm talking about. I think it's really important that we understand that faith is not a feeling because here's why. The biggest steps of faith I've ever taken in my life, I did not feel like doing it. And today in our culture, there's a lie that is like follow your heart, go wherever your heart leads you. No, if you're a Jesus follower, you go wherever Jesus leads you, there's a difference. And we have to be careful that we don't allow our feeling in a moment trump our trust of what God is speaking to us. Because I'll tell you this, it doesn't always feel good to follow Jesus. Because he might speak to you and say, I want you to give away what you have in your emergency fund to help somebody. And you're like, well, I don't feel like doing that. Sacrifice doesn't feel good. Surrender doesn't feel good. Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after me. That doesn't feel good. See, we, we think that if I feel it, then it must be faith. Here's why that's so dangerous. Because there are days and sometimes seasons where I don't feel it. Can I just be honest? There are times when I don't feel God. There are some things that I'll go through and I'm like, God, where are you? But if I allow the feeling that I have in that moment some of you maybe have felt dry for so long so you feel like God left you. No. Here's why I, I, I hold on to what God told Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I am with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's why David could say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. I'm going to walk through some things. You're going to go through some things. And I'm going to tell you, you go, I don't feel like God's there. It does not mean God has left you. Faith is saying, God, I know you're there even if I can't see you. 
I know you're here even if I don't know what you're doing, even if you haven't answered this prayer. See, faith is more than this. Can I just tell you? Faith is more than all those things. It's not a formula. It's not a force. It's not just a feeling. But here's what I think faith really is. I think faith is the boldness to act in the face of fear. I think faith is the thing when you have a courage inside of you, when you say, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but perhaps the Lord will move on our behalf. See, I think faith is moving on a perhaps. We want certainty. God, I will go if you make it so clear. You know what I found? Most of the time, God won't do that. No, no, no. If you want me to quit my job and go over and do this thing instead, then you just make it so clear. And God's like, I know I already put that inside of you. That's why you have that desire. See, most of us, we need a for sure before we'll move. Why, why did Saul stay camped under the pomegranate tree? If we go fight them, we might lose. We might lose. I love the faith of Jonathan, the boldness, perhaps. That's scary because perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Perhaps the Lord won't. Perhaps I take a step and I give. But I don't know if we'll have enough. Perhaps God will act on our behalf. Perhaps God will provide. What if he doesn't? This is the space of faith, by the way. It's not just a belief system. It's feeling motivated. It's feeling inspired. It's feeling the presence of God, the spirit of God speaking to your soul, saying, I created you for this. I want you to take a step. And most of us are saying, God, when I know I step on solid ground, then I'll step. And God said, that's not faith. Faith is moving on a perhaps. By the way, you should know this. We built this building on a perhaps. I always love looking at the people who were around before we got here. They're like, oh yeah, they know. We built this building on a perhaps. We have hundreds and hundreds of people that, that weren't here for that part of the journey. And so I talk about it actually quite extensively in the, in the book because it's been part of my journey of faith and really our journey of faith for those of you who are part of the church. We went through it together and we're still in it. Back in 2016, I'd felt like God was leading us and I talk about in the book all the kind of things that God did to open doors for us to buy this property in 2014 and all these things. And so we went to the church and we did this campaign and we said, would you step into, it's called build the house and would you give above and beyond? And so many people gave above and beyond. You're talking about it doesn't feel good, sacrificed above and beyond. And things were starting to move. So we were like, oh, I, I felt like, man, I see your hand, God, you're doing something. And by the end of that year, we already had a permit to move some dirt. And we started actually moving dirt in December of 2016. Some of you are doing the math right now. And you're like, okay, let's say you opened up in 20. That's the longest construction project ever in the history of man. Well, what you may not know is there was a little bit of a delay in the middle of it. Because one month later, or not even a month later, weeks later, the city contacted us and they said, we think you need to stop. And they stopped the project. And they stopped it because there were so many issues. There was engineering, civil engineering issues. There was FEMA issues. That is a four-letter word if I've ever heard one before that begins with F. FEMA. Um, and we had this massive halt 
to this project that I was sure God had called us to do. And it took a year and a half and tens of thousands of dollars and engineering challenges to get the city to finally give us the green light. And they did. They gave us the green light in 2018 in the summer. And I had this, I had this um, issue that summer with moving forward. Well, when I went back to our contractor and I said, okay, the city has given us a green light. We can move forward. The contractor said, oh, I have to rebid the project. It's been a year and a half. Those quotes aren't good. Do you know what happened in that season? I don't know if any of you remember what it was like, but there was a shortage of workers. There was a shortage of materials. There was an explosion of building and construction going on. And quotes were only good for 30 days because the prices were changing so rapidly. And so he went, I said, okay, go bid it out. And so we didn't change a single thing in the project. We didn't change. He just said, go give me a new quote. And he went and he put together a new quote and he gave it to us. And it was $2.5 million higher for the same thing. I was like, I, I don't have two and a half more million dollars. I didn't have anything close to that. And I'm just telling you, fear came over me like, what are we going to do? I, I don't know what to do. And I remember getting on the phone, um, and, and I write about this in detail in the book, but I got on the phone with the president of the company that was funding the, organ, the whole the project, the Solomon Foundation, great organization. And so I get on the phone with Doug, and um, I said, Doug, I said, I got some bad news and good news. I said, the good news is we got the green light. We can build. The bad news is the project just went up two and a half million dollars and I don't have it. And Doug said, well, I hear you. Trust me, we're seeing this all over the entire country. And um, he said, if you don't build it now, you never will. You won't be able to afford it. I said, I can't afford it now. What difference would it make? He was like, if you don't build now, you will never be able to build. I said, okay, that's good. And then he said, I'm with you and we'll help you get it done. That was actually, you all, you all might think that's awesome and it is awesome. That was not the answer I was expecting and that was not what I was hoping because I was hoping that I could come back and tell the church, well, the funding company wouldn't let us do it. And so that's why we're not doing it. But that, that didn't happen. And I got off the phone with him and it didn't actually help me any. I was so, can I just say, I was paralyzed by fear. Because listen, it was a huge, I cannot even express to you, I tried a little bit in the book, how big of a step of faith it was for us to build this facility. I cannot even describe to you. That step turned into a massive leap. A gap so big that I, I said, I, there's no way. And if I said yes, and if our team and our leaders and our board said yes, it could bankrupt the church. We could lose it all. We may not have a church anymore. I spent the last 15 years of my life trying to build this church and might throw it all away if I make this decision. I don't know what to do. And I remember asking all the board members and I was hoping they'd bail me out and every single one of them said, I think we need to build. I'm like, I hate you. <laughs> I just need somebody to understand like, what are we doing? This is stupid. And I called a friend and a mentor of mine, Tim Liston. He pastors a large church in Houston. And I said, Tim, I don't know what to do. I don't. I mean, I was camped under the pomegranate tree. And he said to me, he said, well, 
What did you feel like God called you to do before the price tag went up? I said, build it. He said, and what's changed? I said, $2.5 million. And he said, how big is your God? Wow. See, see, we, we sometimes will, will take a little step as long as the odds aren't too bad. But when the odds get worse, that's when we're like, uh, you know, when you had a 3,000 person army and then it just became 600 and you don't have weapons. Or like Gideon, when you had 32,000 person army and God reduces it down to 300. You, you see, we, we need it for sure. And on paper, can I just tell you, for us to build this, it was just stupid. And that's why I, I say a lot of times, because I say this is important, that the line between faith and stupidity is really blurry. And you need to know that because whatever dream that God puts inside your heart, it might look stupid to someone else. It might be ridiculous for you to say, well, I hope one day, one day that I can give away my entire salary. I hope one day that I'm gonna be able to travel to this country and I'm gonna be able to be a missionary there. One day I hope it's gonna sound stupid to people, but maybe not to God. And so I wrestled for days and days. In fact, I, I prayed and fasted for days. I went, I went days without eating any food because I was so desperate to know for sure. We, we want a for sure. Guess what? God didn't give me a for sure. All he did was he closed every other door except for this one door. And so I made the decision to move forward. And guess what? Thus far, the Lord has helped us. We're still here. We're still here. We're growing. God's gonna bring, God's providing. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. See, faith is moving on a perhaps. And you know who had the most faith? I said, are you a Saul or are you Jonathan? Do you know who I really feel like sometimes? You know who I think has the greatest faith? The armor bearer. The armor bearer is the guy without the sword that looks at Jonathan and says, do all that you have in your heart. I'm with you heart and soul. The guy who climbed up the cliff behind the guy who had the only sword to go into the battle. Now that's faith. That's faith. And I thought, I can't finish this message without telling you what happened. Let me read it to you in verse 13. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and his feet with his armor bearer right behind him. It says, the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. That dude is nasty. He don't even have a sword. And he was like, I don't need one. I'll kick. I mean, this, is, this guy's crazy. It says, in that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in an area of about a half an acre. One sword, two men against 20 men with swords. And God gave him the victory. Verse 15, then panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field, those in the outpost and the raiding parties and the ground shook. And it was panic sent by whom? It was panic sent by God. What happened? Jonathan moved in faith, God showed up. 
Jonathan moved on a perhaps, God showed up. And God showed up so much. If Jonathan was willing to take ground for God, God said, I'll shake the ground underneath you. And God brought a panic. And God delivered them in that day because he moved on faith. He moved on a perhaps. And my question to you, this is my hope through the series, through what we're doing right now in this season. My question to all of us is this. What is God stirring in your heart? If he hasn't stirred something in your heart yet, I'm just, I'm gonna pray today that God stirs something in you. What's he bringing alive inside of you? He's made you for more than just a paycheck. You, he created you for more than that. He wants you to change your world. If you change your world and I change my world and we do it together, guess what? God's gonna change the world. He's gonna do it through his church. What's he stirring in your heart? Come on, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet today. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. But I believe that this is another one of those moments that God's going to stir your heart if you let him. My question is, are you going to move toward your purpose? See, you don't have to be running away from God. You could just camp under the pomegranate tree. I don't want to camp when God's called me to advance. I don't want you to camp either. Would you bow your heads? Just close your eyes. Father, I'm asking in this moment, I'm asking for your spirit to begin to stir the waters of every soul in this moment. God, I pray right now that you would begin to breathe Maybe there's just a spark of what's left of their faith. And I'm asking now by the Spirit of God, I'm believing right now in this moment that you're breathing, that you're breathing purpose and you're breathing life. I I speak to those dry bones. I speak, God, by the authority that you have given me. I speak to those dry bones to live again, to live again. I I pray right now, God, purpose is coming forth. I pray, God, right now, faith to rise up. I I just really believe this is a moment for some of you. This is a moment where God wants to ordain you for what he's called you to. God wants to stir something in you. God wants to bring something alive inside of you. God wants to build your faith. Maybe, Maybe the things you've seen happen have caused your faith to deplete. But today, right now, by the Spirit of God, I pray he's gonna give you new eyes to see. Thanks so much for tuning in to this message. I hope that it encouraged you and inspired your faith. If God is doing something in your life, would you take a moment and let us know? We wanna connect with you and we wanna be able to pray for you. All you have to do is shoot us an email to hello at the x.church or you can always send us a DM on one of our social media platforms. And if you know somebody that would also be encouraged by this very message, why not take a moment and just share it with them right now? And as always, I want to say thank you to every single person who so generously financially supports this ministry so we can continue to get messages like these out to people all over the world. We believe God is building something special and you're a significant part of it. Until next time, have a great day.